Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in again. And uh, really wanna say thank you for your support. It's uh, fun to do these and I hope you enjoy them as much as I enjoy doing them. Um, with that said, super excited about today's episode. Uh, my guest is one of the world's leading experts on weight management and uh, he's a former wrestler, mixed martial artist. He's a four-time MMA coach of the year. He's an author, a podcaster, an expert on weight cutting, an all-around really awesome guy. And um, I really appreciated him joining, sharing his thoughts. We covered a lot of things about nutrition, well-being, um, diet, and exercise. And we even touched on some MMA stuff if you like that too. Um, so give it up for my guest, Mike Dolce. But before we get to that episode, I also want to give a special shout out to our sponsor, Action. And if you haven't heard, uh, go check out everything going on uh, at Take Action on Instagram. And that's action with a K, A-K-T-I-O-N. Uh, and check out the website, drinkaction.com, where you can find uh, one of three specialty blends of Guatemalan coffee. That's small batch artisan roast in Austin, Texas, and sent directly to your doorstep. It's awesome stuff. And uh, you'll know that there's a super exciting announcement that they just made regarding a sponsorship with former UFC light heavyweight number one contender, Anthony Rumble Johnson. So exciting stuff there. I know they're working on a couple of really cool things with him. And uh, there's some new products coming to the market as well. Some CBD and turmeric supplements, as well as uh, an MCT infused medium roast coffee. So go check them out, drinkaction.com. Keep your eye open for the new website and use code word curious for 10% off your order as well as free shipping. But while you make that order, enjoy your episode. Mike Dolce. No, I, I appreciate the time, my friend. I, um, you know, I've, I've been a fan of you for a long time. And I guess for anybody that doesn't know who Mike Dolce is, you know, you're one of the world's top weight management coaches. Um, you've been, what, four-time MMA coach of the year, former fighter yourself, um, and somebody who gets me sparked up on a fairly routine basis with how you approach, you know, your, your message, which I think in today's day and age, you've got to just be right to the point direct, not afraid to hurt feelings um, in a way, but you, you found a good balance in that. And I really appreciate it when I hear you. So I wanted to bring you on, um, you know, and I have a couple of things that I wanted to dive into, but you know, the first, and I think probably most important for me, and I touched on this a little bit yesterday with someone, but um, in today's day and age with this whole pandemic, you know, regardless of your political stance, where you stand on a mask or not a mask, there's a lack of focus or discussion around general health and well-being. Um, and I think a lot of that ties back even just to your diet, right? And, you know, I think I definitely want to talk to you about performance, diet, you know, and some things like that. But I, I really think kicking it off around the every person, right? Anybody that's listening to this, the importance of a well-balanced diet and one that you can manage and maintain just so that you're healthy through this. Absolutely. And, and I appreciate the kind words to, to start this off. But to answer your question, our tagline is the Dolce diet. It's not a diet. It's a lifestyle. Honestly, we wouldn't have put diet in the name if the alliteration wasn't so strong. It just sounds so well with Dolce right in front of it. But truly, our job is to educate the masses 
in what is the most efficient form of living their best life. And that's through lifestyle choices. And one of the most impactful choices we can make is the foods that we consume. So we always use the, the term healthful foods. We want to feed ourselves with healthful whole foods or earth-grown foods because some people took the term whole foods and they figured they could just shop at whole foods and whatever they bought there was fine. And we know that's not true. So that healthful whole food approach, that's the cornerstone of what we're trying to accomplish through you know, platforms like your own and any sort of content and message that we can put out. It's trying to get people to remember that food is the most important aspect of their health journey, of their fitness journey, of their body composition, aesthetic journey, um, living longer, healthier, more vital, productive lives. Everything comes back to food. And I'll, I'll kind of jump off and, and let you hop in. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. And, and um, it, you know, for me, I feel like I've, I've kind of yo-yoed, right? Um, I got caught up in a lot of the fad stuff. And I, I think I was maybe a month or so ago, I came across a video that you did where you were really challenging a lot of the, you know, why would you restrict your time to eat? What, what, what is that about? Why would you, you know, why would you, in essence, restrict certain nutrient dense foods just for, you know, a, a mindset of a, a quote unquote diet. And it really made me think because that's how I used to eat. I, I ate often. I ate when I was hungry. I ate really good whole foods and I didn't really care. And I guess I got a little fear that as I was getting older, I needed to be a little more conscious. And then I also became afraid of sugar. And then because of being afraid of sugar, I became afraid of carbs. And, you know, then it just slowly steamrolled. And I found myself like, man, I thought I would be in better shape. I thought that I would be in better condition. And then I heard that and I thought, man, maybe I kind of lost my way. That's what happens. And that's, what my team and I really work hard to push back against is the false narrative being put out by the, the paid pop culture fitness personalities out there. They're just looking for points of differentiation. That's all it is. What I do is not sexy. Our message is not sexy. The bodies we produce are very sexy, I, I must say. But the messaging is not eat healthful whole foods in wide variety, local, organic, in season, right? There's no exclusionary restrictive fed dietary process here. There's no pills, no powders, no potions for us to sell here. It's the worst business model ever, by the way. Now we look at, let's say keto. And I, I like to point this out that keto came, you know, about three or so years ago, keto really became popular in many ways because of Joe Rogan. Joe does a great job bringing interesting people onto his show. And Joe's very enthusiastic about the conversations that he has with these people. And Joe brings on a few people that talk about this whole keto thing. And like Mark Sisson, I think, is really kind of what the jump off was. And then Dom yeah. D'Agostino and a few others kind of came following up. And Joe went down that hole a little bit in his own conversation. Now, I don't believe in his real life he did, per se, because Joe's a smart guy and Joe's a hardworking guy. And, you know, I don't live with them and I don't feed them. But at the same time, you know, I, I know enough about them to know that 
he's not a keto guy and he's never been a keto guy, but the whole keto narrative really took off. And all these companies starting putting out all these keto products and keto became this really big thing, became one of the biggest um, SEO keywords on, on Google and on searches. So all the companies then same, same, they all tried to jump in and monetize keto. What we did is we kept saying exactly what I'm saying is why. Why would I follow an exclusionary restrictive fair diet that says I cannot eat blueberries, but I can eat a bag of pork rinds? Explain that doesn't make sense to me because on keto, you can't eat a cup of blueberries. It's, it's over 20 grams of carbohydrates. You just can't do that. It's sugar. Sugar is bad. It'll give you cancer and make you fat and it'll kill you. Though there's no diet, there's no data to support that. So we really pushed back on that conversation. Now, if I wanted to, because of the audience that we have and the business that we have, and I think the, the reputation we've built, if I wanted to jump the shark and sell a keto program and come out with a keto product, we'd be turning seven figures a year on those products alone, especially mm -hmm. for the last few years, right? We would have run that train all the way to the end. We chose not to do that because of honesty and integrity, because we are still pushing this message. Now, one of the biggest criticisms that I get personally and, and my team gets and our brand gets is that everything Dolce says is so simple. Everything he says is so basic. They it's don't funny. really change their message very much. There's yeah. nothing new over there. I was just about to say, you know, all the things you were describing about the other diets are, it, it just sounds overdeveloped. Absolutely. Yeah. And we know any dietary change usually facilitates some sort of benefit. Now, it's not exclusively beneficial, but you, you go from a high fat diet to a low fat diet, you see a benefit, a low fat to a, a high fat, you see a benefit, your body changes, things change. And you can point to that one data point. And this is where the paid pop culture fitness personalities, they really point to that one data point. And then they'll build their whole straw man argument around that one data point, And they'll push that narrative into the public sphere. And that's what the, the great men and women who are listening to your show and watching your show, they're then getting inundated with all this false information that's simply created to monetize, to sell. And that's where I really get angry because I know a lot of the people behind the scenes and a lot of the businesses and the brands and the personalities. And these are smart people. They're smart people who know better. And I always say it's, you either get someone who's so smart, they know it's bullshit and they're intentionally deceiving you, or you get someone who's just a freaking idiot and they're not intentionally deceiving you, but they're still wrong. Those are the, two, the only two people pushing these, these false, exclusionary, restrictive, fed dietary programs. Individuals, I think like myself, my team, and what we're trying to do, we stand out because we don't follow the same marketing program that everyone else does. We keep banging the hammer based upon best practices. What are best practices? Best practices is looking at the vast majority of the human population really, you know, through the history of time and saying, well, what has worked best? And what we did, we say, well, let's see the populations that have lived the longest in general, what foods do they eat? And then we compared that with the populations of athletes that compete at the highest levels of their sport over long periods of time. And what did we find? We found that they are very much entrenched in an omnivoric meal plan. 
that is a, a wide variety of healthful whole food sources. They're not resorting to exclusionary restrictive dietary practices. They're not limiting the intake times of foods. They're eating a wide variety of these foods. They're not overeating. It's a mass caloric surplus. They're eating enough to maintain their activity, not so much to spill over while fulfilling their micronutrient needs. Usually they're procuring foods that are local, in season, organic, which I say is, is unmolested by man's greedy little hands. That's actually really simple. And this is what we've been talking about now for, I've been doing this, you know, professionally for over 20 years, but, you know, popular um, since maybe 2005 or so. So for 15 years, I've been really in the public space talking about this and, and very, you know, a lot of spotlight has been on us since about 2010 through the UFC and our work with these world-class athletes and whatnot. So over a decade or so now, we've been in the spotlight pushing this same conversation. Now, again, it's hard to sell that because I, I can't patent spinach, right? I, I don't own a blueberry farm. I can't sell blueberries. So the only thing we can do is do right by the people who listen to us and say, this is what works, ladies and gentlemen. Healthful, whole foods, wide variety, local, organic. And when I do say organic, I don't mean it has the USDA organic logo on there. I mean organic in the true sense of the word. It is food that is of the earth, unmolested by man's greedy little corporate hands, um, you know, with synthetic toxic chemicals just looking to squeeze out profit margin. And that allows the individual to then start making better decisions for themselves to improve their health long term. But once we focus on long term health, short term sports performance, body mass composition, um, general feelings of health, wellness, satiety all dramatically improve. So then it becomes really simple. So this system in many ways isn't our system. We're just talking about best practices of the human race really since the dawn of time. Yeah. Do you find that you get almost some organic momentum as those fads pick up and it's almost then you become the outcast? Yeah. And that's a great point. And unfortunately, we're always the outcast. We're always the little guy. Uh, we're always the one who's saying the opposite of what's happening because now think back to, now I've, I've been in the, the fitness world since the mid nineties, right? I opened my business in 1997 officially, but I was working in 93 when I was 17 years old. Um, so 93, I'm, I'm a paid fitness professional and I was a, you know, high level amateur wrestler and I had you know, that little bit of athletic career. So, you know, I, I was entrenched since the early nineties, even in, in this world. Mm -hmm. But as I've gone through and I, I managed one of the, the largest, you know, sports nutrition stores on the planet at that time in the nineties. So as part of their executive team, and I, I kind of moved on. So I worked and wore many different hats as I was coming up through the industry. So I learned quite a bit about how the industry actually works, how products are made, source manufacturing, quality standards, all the data on actually the end result, let's say the absorption. So it's not the ingestion of a product. It's actually the absorption that matters more than anything. So most of what pe people consume is, is a waste of time. What is, is in the bottle is not actually what ends up in the cell at the very end of, of the, the, the phase. Mm -hmm. But we've gone through and really we haven't changed our message and, and you know people have kind of gone back and tried to find a way to discredit us or hit us and they really go back through and they're like there's really nothing there we've pretty much said the whole the, the same basic basic thing since the early 2000s and that's kind of really when you know I'm, I'm me being published and whatnot you kind of go back and pull some of those 
you know, paper articles that were written back in magazines when magazines were even around. And it's basically the same thing. Now, grass-fed meat wasn't available back then. Quinoa wasn't available back then. So there's certain products, the avocado oil wasn't available back then. But what was available, the highest quality of what was available at that time, that's what we were talking about at that time, simply because nobody even knew grass-fed meat would eventually become a thing. There was no organic products mm -hmm. 15 years ago. You couldn't find any on the shelf. So we've always been that outlier. And fortunately, unfor I got to say, unfortunately, the fad diet keeps changing. And I, I brought this up to say that I, I lived through the ketogenic diet in the early 90s and the anabolic diet and the metabolic diet and um, the Atkins diet. It's all the same diet that keeps coming through. And now, you know, again. it's just rebranding the same basic information that we've known about since the 1920s. Right. You think about the 1920s, the ketogenic diet was out there for the 12 year old epileptic boy. Um, you know, that's really when it kind of got national attention and people jumped on and they jumped off and they jumped on, and they jumped off. Did they jump off because it worked? No, they jumped off because it didn't work. If it worked, everybody would be following the ketogenic right now and we wouldn't see the climbing global pandemic of, of obesity and diabetes and cardiovascular disease and, and stroke and all these other lifestyle related diseases that we see that the ketogenic community, we're banging on them right now because it's just fun to yeah. do, but they <clears throat> claim essentially that a ketogenic diet will cure these issues. Well, what are we seeing? We're seeing that no, none of these issues are being cured. And for a hundred years now, they haven't been cured, right? We're talking about the general population, the vast majority of humans. Now, is there a small niche percentage of the population that for a small percentage of their life, they may benefit from a lower carbohydrate intake? Absolutely. Does that mean they shouldn't eat blueberries or quinoa? No. It likely means they need to avoid all the processed, the synthetic toxic chemicals in the processed foods and processed sugars that they've been consuming. They need to come down off that. So we've seen the, the different versions of keto come through. We've seen zone come through. We've seen, remember when the paleo diet was such a big deal? You know, Lauren, Dr. Lauren Cordain's paleo diet. Then Rob Wolf, who's a friend of mine, came out with the paleo solution. I love Rob Wolf, but Rob was a zone guy. And then Rob went from zone to paleo, to keto, to fasting, and to now, I don't know what Rob's doing. I don't know what's going on there. But that doesn't make sense in the continuum of the evolution of best practices. I see way too many disconnects. And, and I only mention Rob because I, I deeply respect him and his brain and what he does. But at the same time, I do feel his messaging is wrong. And I feel that there has been unintentional uh, misrepresentation of the community at large by what is best for the average human. The average human listening and watching right now should not be on an exclusionary restrictive fed dietary program. They should be eating a healthful whole food diet, wide variety of vital micro and phytonutrients. In, in the most complete form possible as local to the point of consumption, which maximizes nutrient density per total calorie consumed. Mm -hmm. That's how we have a lower total caloric floor with the highest possible nutrient ceiling. We're maximizing the nutrition we consume with the lowest possible calories by only eating healthful whole foods in wide variety. 
So this exclusionary, restrictive, um, fad dietary process, that has nothing to do with helping the human. That only helps the corporations and the personalities make money. It's harder to make money when you say what I say. Mm -hmm. But fortunately, to close this loop here, I went a little long. We've always been on the outside. But our business has grown quarter after quarter for over a decade now. Every single year, there's never is a lack, there is never a lack of people who tried zone and it failed. So they found us. They tried paleo and it failed and they found us. They tried keto and it failed and they found us. They tried intermittent fasting and it failed and they found us. That's what our base is. Those who've gone through and we've done the research, they've gone through at least three of the popular fad diets before they find us. And once they find us, they realize, my goodness, I feel the best I've ever felt. I look the best I've ever looked. I'm performing as well as I've ever performed. And now I'm happy. I can live this life. I can have blueberries. I can eat an apple. I can have beets and carrots, you know, these, these bad, nasty carbs. I can eat jasmine white rice or a white potato or a sweet potato. I can have wild-caught salmon, right? And I'll push to the vegans also. Because veganism is an exclusionary restrictive dietary program. I can't quite say fad because it's been lasting a long time. But yeah. veganism is not ideal for humans also. An omnivoric meal plan is what is ideal for the human, for the human species. And all the data supports that. So for anyone to refute that shows they're being intentionally deceptive or they just don't understand the data, both of those shouldn't be listened to. You make it seem like it should be just so simple. And I guess it is that simple. Um, it is. And food is the most one of, I can't say the most, because we could talk about stress. We could talk about sleep. We could talk about environmental issues. And you know, there's a bunch of stuff that, that goes in here, right? Mm -hmm. But food is one of the things that we can control, right? Some of us, it's harder for us to control. We can't control our family our genetics, right? Hereditary issues. We can't control to a degree where we were born or raised or currently live. We might not be able to as easily control our job, the car we drive, you know, our finances, our interpersonal relationships. These are all stressors that have an impact, positive and negative, on our life. We can control what we eat. Even the air we breathe, we can't control in many ways we can control what we eat. And that's really why we push down to food. We can, we can control what we eat. This is something we can control and we know definitively we can see a benefit through these small daily habits, these small daily actions. Rule number one is do no harm, right? Rule number two is improve health. That's what this is. It's don't hurt ourselves, start to help ourselves. That, that's kind of what we're doing here with nutrition. And all these exclusionary restrictive fed dietary programs, they don't do that. They address one issue, losing weight, dropping body fat, gaining muscle mass on these high caloric surplus programs, let's say. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the, the veganism is, is, is looking for, you know, they, they, they talk about longevity. But when we look at longevity, we look at blue zone territories, we don't see vegan, veganism. We, mm -hmm. It is omnivoric. Um, lifestyle plan, right? And in all these blue zones where people live to be 100 years old or, or more, they're not vegan, right? They're not plant-based. They're heavily plant-influenced, mm -hmm. as is our protocol, right? We talk about lots and lots and lots of, of plant-based foods while also eating animal products. That's just the way it goes. That's the way humans are designed, and that's where we thrive. It's so funny. 
Go ahead. Not to cut you off. It's funny because it's that argument too, though, that the vegan community will leverage those blue zone areas. They'll leverage the plant-based data and use it as their own data, but they don't want to entertain that it's the combination of the omnivoric diet that's actually making the results. They're, they're just attributing it only to the veganism, which if that was the case, then the vegan community would probably be outliving that community who's also ingesting some things outside of what they're believing. So absolutely yeah. agreed. And, and unfortunately, most of these camps, they back into the data with a predetermined outcome. They know exactly what they want to tell you before they look at the data. So then they scour the data to support their point, And that's what they push out. And that's, you know, there's a great, and he used to use Rogan because he's just so powerful and, and, and popular. Rogan had Dr. Dom D'Agostino on his show. Dom's a great guy. Dom's a PhD. Dom's very well accredited. Dom is a keto guy. He might not be anymore like P Dr. Peter Atia. Um, you know, he was a super keto guy. Now he's eating a little bit of carbs again. Interesting how that happens. Um, great, smart guy, right? Dom D'Agostino, PhD, highly credentialed. Keto, 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 keto. Keto's everything. And then you get Dr. Andy Galpin on, PhD, highly accredited. Two equally accredited, accredited individuals. Dom's saying keto's the best thing ever. Andy Galpin comes on and he's like, um, that's not actually true. It's, it's not, actually, not actually true. And they were talking about, you know, basically the primary fuel source, right, for, you know, physical performance. And I'll paraphrase what Andy basically said. But it, it, it's glycogen stored in the muscle, which is, is site-specific for energy utilization, right? When we're talking about keto, it's not site-specific. It takes much longer, and it's an inferior fuel source for performance. And Rogan was like, well, that's not what Dr. Dom says. And Andy was like, very political. He's like, well, it was an interesting, you know, it, uh, it was an interesting debate that they had. You saw it too. Yeah. Now, yeah. The rest of everyone who, I mean, who's unbiased, you see that and you're like, well, Andy's 100% correct here. How does the ketogenic community try and overcome what Andy just said? You can't, there's no data that supports that. And there's no athlete on the planet competing right now. That proves what Dr. Dom said, but Dr. Dom's on Rogan's show talking about how keto is the best and it's the best for athletes. That's bullshit. No, I don't think Dom did it intentionally. I, I got to assume he didn't, but it was wrong. Now, how does a fucking PhD sit there, pardon my language, and make this case when it's factually incorrect? And then you have another one like, like Andy, Dr. You know, Dr. Galpin sitting there, who's very honestly and accurately describing how this actually works. And Rogan was like, well, sure, I don't know. I wish Dom was here. That's not what he says. It doesn't matter what Dom says. That's not what actually happens. And any scientist out there understands this is the way it works. But every athlete in the field and on the court knows because we've all tried it. You've all tried it. And what I point to is I say, show me 10 world-class athletes that are ketogenic. Show me 10 baseball players, 10 football players, 10 basketball, 10 hockey, 10 um, um, uh, NBA or WNBA and LPGA and, and, and MMA. Show me 10 in every category. 10 of the thousand. There's you'll none. Be lucky, you'll be lucky to find 15 or 20 across the board. Absolutely. And, 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 even, and those that do, it's only for a short period. Of, they do it for a couple of weeks and they claim keto and then it gets conflated once again. LeBron James went keto. LeBron dropped his carbs because he was eating a little too much McDonald's. Yeah. 
right? Or he, or he, or he just bought 20% stake in a company that's got a keto supplement. Even better. Even better. And, and we certainly <laughs> saw that, um, you know, that, that, that happens more often than not, unfortunately. Yeah. No, it's, uh, it's, you always got to look a couple layers underneath the onion, right? Absolutely. Um, I just, I know we got limited time and everything, but I wanted to shift gears really quick. Uh, big fights this weekend, yeah. obviously. Um, I had uh, Dr. Corey Peacock on yesterday. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah. hell yeah. All right, good. Great dude. We talked a little bit about Camaro and just really how to peak an athlete at the right time. And, um, you know, I've heard you loud and clear. A lot of folks, you know, the media hypes the, the 20 pound plus weight cuts. And I know your experience in, in working with a lot of top level fighters and, you know, 20, 20 pounds isn't really a whole lot of weight to lose the week of a fight. Um, but, you know, I want to talk about a guy like Masvidal and, you know, how do, how does somebody like that from your perspective, obviously he's training focused on Kamaru. Um, he's in fight shape, ready to go. Um, probably waiting for that phone call, but you know, I got to imagine that weight cuts a little bit different than if you've been in an actual camp and kind of monitoring things on a, you know, a 10 or 12 week cycle. Um, you know, what's your thought on that? Um, 20 pounds for a mixed martial art athlete is nothing. We work with many of the division one colleges that, that division one wrestling programs. Um, these athletes are typically cutting, you know, in a given week they're, they're gaining and losing, you know, not that far off of 20 pounds. We certainly don't recommend it, but we see these high school kids. And I say that because I'm double their age. Now we see these high school kids that are gaining and losing 20 pounds, two and three times per week. I will tell you right now that some of the 115 and 125 pound female fighters on the card are losing close to 20 pounds during fight week, the seven to 10 days before competition. Most of the athletes who show up at the UFC are showing up approximately 20 pounds over, which is fine. What is that 20 pounds? That's fully fed 20 pounds, fully fed, fully hydrated 20 pounds. And anyone listening, pay attention, please, because this is really a fun test. When you wake up in the morning, wake up, go to the restroom, completely relieve yourself, step on the scale, and then start eating and drinking throughout the day and start weighing yourself as you eat and drink. Watch how much weight you put on. We call it, you know, just, just, you know, fluid weight and then bulk food matter that passes through your body. It's easy for every human right here to eat anywhere between four and 10 pounds of food in a given day. You're eating, you know, people sit down and think nothing of eating an eight ounce burger. Well, the eight ounce burger plus the bun and all the other stuff and the fries and this and that and the other thing, plus they're drinking a 16 ounce Coke or whatnot. That's two or three pounds right there. That burger is going to be in your gut two days, three days later, right? It takes, you know, anywhere between, you know, 12 to 72 hours. On average, it takes a little over two days for this bulk food matter to pass through the digestive system. Dare I say, Jorge was fully fed when he stepped on the scale. He's about 20 pounds over. Sure he is. Now, if he dried out, cleaned out his gut, didn't have that bulk food matter sitting inside of digestive system, he's probably closer to 15 pounds over. That matters, right? That's, a, that's 25% of the weight right there. Now, he's eating salt. He's eating probably starchy carbs, breads, and things like that. We know they attract and hold on to water. That's not real weight. It's physically on your body, but you, you lower your salt. We would never drop our salt. You lower your salt. You drop the starchy carbs. What happens? He's going to lose another five pounds easily. Bang. Now you're talking about a guy who's truly about 10 pounds over. Now, here's the problem with Masvidal as compared to Usman. Usman's naturally a lean guy. Usman doesn't get fat. 
right? Usman probably walks around close to single-digit body fat percentage year-round. Masvidal holds a little more body fat, and that's okay. So do I. I hold a little bit more body fat. Masvidal is probably walking around 12 to 14% body fat in the offseason. Let's say he's at 11% body fat right now, where Usman's walking around at 9. That's a big difference. That's a big difference at men their size when they're cutting weight, specifically when you're talking about dehydration. Because now you're talking about anywhere between half to a full gallon of water that George has to sweat out that Usman won't. And that's where the damage begins. Now, Usman holds more lean muscle tissue than George. Usman actually weighs more weight than George. So Usman weighs more while being leaner and having more muscle tissue, but we know muscle tissue holds more, more water. than more water, more than double than fat. So Usman, it's very easy to squeeze water out of muscle, very hard to squeeze water out of body fat. Very, very hard, very challenging. George is going to have to hurt harder and longer than Usman will to cut a very similar amount of weight. Will George make it? I have no doubt that George will make weight because George is a veteran. He's mentally very tough. He's a very tough man, mentally very tough. Physically, he's a, just a, a stud. Usman will have an easier – it'll be a hard cut for Usman too, but it'll be an easier – all weight cutting's hard. Like, I want to make it clear. Don't <laughs> say cut. It's, it's easy in this structure, but it's, it's hard in practice because you have to sacrifice – so that being said, George is going to be cutting more weight a harder way than Usman will. And Usman will likely be you know, 8 to 12 pounds larger of lean functional muscle tissue inside the octagon. And again, Usman will be better trained for this fight than George because Usman knew definitively he was fighting on this date, 25 minutes. George didn't know. That means George is picking a little here, picking a little there, not quite going 100% like Usman was. And at the UFC world-class, world title level, that matters. That, that starts to stack the deck for sure. So not to shift too quickly, but I would have to imagine you'd think, or maybe I'm wrong, the Tony Ferguson weight cut prior to the fight. I mean, do you think that had an impact in that fight? Or do you uh, think it? Yeah, I, I do. I do in that. It was that – now, I'll talk about – because I spoke about this, and there's two different ways to look at it. Yeah. Tony's a deep-water fighter. Tony's the type of guy that fights better the more he suffers, the more bloody, the more grueling, the more exhausting the fight. Tony Ferguson comes out on the other side of that. I think Tony did that weight cut three weeks before the fight in order to mentally keep his mind sharp and locked in. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's the psychological advantage of Tony saying, I'm sharper, I'm, I'm harder trained, I'm more deserving. That goes a long way for sure. It's a placebo effect, but the placebo effect is real because you can actually track it in data. Right. You can track the placebo effect in, in data points in any peer reviewed scientific study. The placebo effect is real for sure. If I was working with Tony or, if, you know, maybe Andy Galpin or, or Dr. Peacock was working with Tony, we would have been like, please no like let's figure something else out for you to do that isn't this because yeah. what did it affect tony 
there was, there was some sort of physical detriment. There might have been a, a psychological boost, but there was a definitive physical detriment. What that was, we don't know, but I can say he wasn't 100% as a result of it. Yeah, no, I don't want to take anything away from Justin Gaethje, but I, I just felt like that was a, a, a 70% Tony Ferguson in there. He just seemed to, he seemed to fade. His punches didn't seem to really have much of any pop on him at all. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was. I really was kind of bummed out. Agreed. And and also, we don't know how well Tony did the cut. How well orchestrated was the cut? If I did it, or Andy did it, or or Corey did it, I would be more comfortable saying it was done appropriately. Maybe Tony did it great. I don't know. I highly doubt it because he was quarantined. He didn't have his team. He didn't have the facilities. He didn't have some of the things that you want a world-class athlete to have when he's making such a deep weight cut. Now, Tony, I think, gets up to the 190s or so off season, right? Tony's a big dude. So you're talking about a guy that, that, you know, can get up to nearly 35, 40 pounds above his weight class. What was he walking around? What did he come down from? I heard it was like 25, 28 pounds. Wow. Man, so you make the weight, you bounce back up, and then he's got to come back down again 10 days out, two weeks out before the next fight. So he really didn't have a lot of turnaround time. And they, they say it's like, well, it's three weeks scale to scale. Yeah, that's fine. But the deprivation begins two to three weeks before. So likely he was cutting weight for six to eight weeks mm-hmm. instead of just cutting weight for, for 10 to 14 days. Would his ability to um, put weight back on the right way be dramatically affected on the second time? because of that first weight cut, you know what I mean? Like not really being able to recharge that battery. In yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Now, not, not looking at Tony's labs and, and, and knowing him you know, yeah. personally, I, I can't say for sure, but there is a myriad of negative health consequences from a weight cut. Mm-hmm. Just a, a dramatic list. And maybe because of the cut, the first cut, Tony was incapable of training to the level he needed to train at for the, three weeks to prior peak. to the fight yep. to be sharp, to be ready, to have that pop. He likely couldn't train. Cause remember fighters cut weight. They perform one time for 15 to 25 minutes. And then they take a month off. Yep. Tony cut weight. He sparred the next day. And then he kept on training. He didn't allow his body time to step down. I would have preferred Tony didn't train at all. Yeah. Right. Don't train at all come in almost out of shape, but fully recovered instead of coming in in shape, but completely in, in, you know, likely deep into overreaching syndrome. Yeah. No, makes sense. It's uh, definitely makes sense. I appreciate uh, the fact that there's guys like you out there. I wish that every fighter had someone kind of guiding them. Um, one last thing, cause I know we have a, we have a hard stop coming up quick, but we got a couple uh, minutes, a couple extra minutes. So it's okay. Yeah. So, you know, with this said, I mean, I know you believe weight cutting can be done safely. It can be done effectively. There's a lot of discussion in the UFC and in mixed martial arts in general about trying to remove the weight cut all, all in full, right. And to, you know, do some sort of hydration testing and to have guys fight at their own weight. I mean, what, what's your thoughts on that? Because I have a feeling it's going to be fun to hear. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's, it's a joke. It's, it's ridiculous. Um, you know, what, what the California State Athletic Commission has done under um, 
Andy Foster, I think Andy's a good guy. I think he's well-intended, but unfortunately they don't understand. They don't understand how this works. They don't understand weight cutting. Now, hydration tests, there's 13-year-old freshman wrestlers in New Jersey right now that are hacking the hydration tests. They're certifying for weight classes 20 pounds below what the hydration test would normally allow them. I could. It's like the old concussion test. Yeah. You can game that so easily. It's so easy to game these silly little tests. Any test, any test, there's a cheat sheet to every single test out there, right? Especially the hydration test. That doesn't work. Athletes should compete at their their walk-around weight. Well, what is their walk-around weight? Is that me at 8% or is that me at 12%? Because that 4% body weight on a 220-pound individual, well, that's a lot. That's a lot. Now, what, me competing at that, how do you quantify that? Is that my best shape? Is that my best weight? How do you quantify that? You can't quantify that. What I say, the only way, and I, man, I'm, I'm in every camp in every corner. I have these conversations. I know the contracts. I know the, the financials. I know the motivations. I hear the athletes. I hear their coaches. I hear the strategies. Weight cutting is a strategy. Missing weight is a strategy in contract negotiations. Mm-hmm. You know this for sure because you see the high proportion of athletes who miss weight win fights. I will gladly give you 10 to 20% of my purse so I can win this fight and I will sign for a massive fight increase over the next four to six fight deal. Plus I'll get co-main event or main event. Plus I'll get bigger sponsors. Easy, right? It's so easy. It's so easy. I'll give you 10 grand of my purse for my next fight. I'll make an extra 50. Done. This or is what if, it, if my if my win is if I got a win bonus, it's bigger than my penalty. Absolutely. Yeah. So and, and I will say, I've never had an athlete miss weight, so I'm aware of it. Though no athlete I've ever worked with has ever partaken in such things. But I've had coaches try and creep in the ear of our athlete to do this to pull up within that last three pounds because the three pounds is the worst. I will say the one thing, and. <sighs> Dare I say, and I don't want to sound like a, you know, out of, I don't want to talk out of, out of turn here, but there's not many people with more experience than I have behind the scenes and in front, like behind the curtain and in front of the curtain. I know the game. I know the sport. I know the athletes. I know their psychology. I'm in the bathtub with them while cutting weight. I'm in the negotiation room. I understand all this. The only thing that matters to these athletes is money. These are professional prize fighters. The only thing that matters is money. So what I've said before, if an athlete misses weight, 50% of their purse is automatically taken away. Gross earnings, 50%. Now the financial downside is too great for them to miss. 50% is wiped away and they get a one-year suspension. That one-year suspension allows them the medical testing necessary to ensure this never happens again. Because it takes a while to figure this out, to go through the diagnostics, to to reestablish a healthy lifestyle protocol, to look at body mass composition, to get your training up to par. And the penalty of you missed weight, your opponent didn't, you should be suspended. So they lose half their paycheck, and now they can't earn an in-competition paycheck for a year. Guaranteed athletes would A, make weight, or B, move up a class Mm -hmm. that to the class that they should be in, not the one that they shouldn't be in. And there's a lot, when I talk about this, I get a lot of pushback. Well, that's not fair, Dolce. Now you're forcing athletes to cut weight that's gonna make them unhealthy. 
That's like no. they forget the other side of the argument. You can go up. You, you should go up. <laughs> Most, I'll say it right now. Every athlete listening, go up a weight class. Watch how awesome your life is. You're so much happier. And watch how much better your performance becomes. You look at guys like Jordan Burroughs or Kale Sanderson, two of the greatest uh, wrestlers in the world. They won world titles moving up weight classes in college. That's the little secret in, in, in Division I wrestling. Move up weight classes every year. Don't maintain your weight class. Move up weight class, and that's where you get your benefit. Because as they move up, and these are the, you know, the genetic elites, as you move up, and let's say you know, I'm, the number, I'm the number two going against the number one. I move up a weight class, you know, and I'm the number two having gone up a weight class, going against the defending number one. That defending number one is a year older. Mm -hmm. They're a year bigger, right? They're uh, cutting even harder. The benefit is now on my side, not their side. Now, smaller jumps in, in you know, most of the, the collegiate wrestling classes, but same conversation because we look at 115, 25, 35, 45, 55, 70, 85. That's not that big of a deal. So getting to 45 or to move up to 55, you look at like a, a, a Gilbert Durino. Gilbert Durino was a middling lightweight. Mm -hmm. And he... He moves up to 70. He's undefeated at 70. He gets himself a title shot. Mike Chiesa misses weight at 55, looks terrible at 55, moves up. Now he's walking into contendership. We can look at a lot of athletes. Um, um, who's he's a the, huge 170. Right? He's a, he's a big I, Dude, I don't know how he got to 155. He's a big, big guy. I've, uh, I've seen him down there at 55 a few times, man, and it, it makes my heart hurt to see some of these athletes do what they have to do. And then they listen to these knucklehead idiot, dare I say, my opinion, criminally negligent weight management coaches that torture these kids to get them down to that, that weight class and usually miss. And, and like Chiesa missed that weight class. He said he almost died during his weight cut, right? If you if you think you're going to die in the middle of a weight cut, you're in the wrong weight class. Even if you make it, you are in the wrong weight class, and you're not performing near your ability. There's a, a running joke in, in, in college wrestling that it's, it, it's a gentleman's agreement that they're both going to show up at 60% because of the weight cut. Like, you're cutting a ton of weight. I'm cutting a ton of weight. We're both at 60% of our true potential. So then it's a fair match, right? That's the mentality, and that's true, right? We're both almost dead. Let's see who wins almost dead. You're the better man here or, or gal here you know, nowadays. Uh, but I'd love to see athletes move up, compete at their, their healthy weight. And you look, at, you look at a lot of the European sports, combat sports, boxing and kickboxing and whatnot. An eight-pound weight cut over in Europe, that's a pretty big cut. In the United States, man, if you're not cutting you know, 15, 20 pounds, you're not cutting at all. Mm -hmm. 10 pounds within weight is your walk around weight they think that's your natural weight it's all oh he's only 10 pounds over that's no big deal 10 pounds and that's it's a gallon plus of water that you have to sweat out hold a gallon of water and then try and squeeze that out of your brain Let, let's see how that feels right for sure so uh appreciate it my friend uh people can find you at uh at the dolce diet on social media correct yep everywhere um you have a podcast as well. Dude, Mike Dolce Show. Okay. And then the dolcediet.com. I know there's a lot of really good stuff there. People can get a ton of information. They can sign up for your, your program there, correct? 
Yeah, we have a, a four-week and a 12-week online personalized diet and exercise program created by myself, my team of uh, registered dietitians, certified trainers. It, it is the number one rated online healthy weight loss program. Uh, we're extremely, extremely proud of it. And we built it because there was nothing else out there like it. It, it's not a macro program. You see all these other macro programs out there. It, it's such a disservice to the to the good people who want to look better, feel better, live better. We really took the time to build what we feel is the most sophisticated software platform with the highest level of, of scientific, scientifically vetted nutrition information delivered in a manner that anyone can use. My, 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 my mother, my grandmother, you know, your aunt, your uncle, your cousin. So it's the same information world-class athletes have but delivered in a format that everyone can use. I don't expect anyone to enter the octagon who goes to the website, though many of the world-class athletes simply use that and uh, they, they don't hire me one-on-one -on -one because they don't need to. And I'm happy to do that. I love it. I love it. Well, I'm excited to check it out. And I know a lot of folks here will as well. Mike, appreciate it a ton, my friend. We'll have to do it again. And by the way, I dig the t-shirt. It's uh, right on. glad we both threw on some music. Yeah, man, right on. This is, this is the way it is, right? You know, I, I, I don't want to say hate, but I'm, I'm not that stuffed shirt dude, right? Neither are you. No. This is, come as you are, man. I, I, I curse a little bit too much. I, you know, I, I don't shave as much as I probably should. I, you know, I, I, I wear- coast guys. That's why. We keep it real, brother. That, where are you right now? I'm in Pittsburgh. Oh, so. yeah. All right. So we're yeah. blue collar, man. We, to the we, core. We don't play that collar tee. I mean, we'll put a collar on if we're going to a wedding or something, right? But outside of that, man, I, I had a tank top on right, right before, you know, earlier today. I'm walking, I was like, I should probably, you know, put on a, I'm going to put on a sleep shirt. And this is the one I chose. So that, that lets you know uh, who I am at my core. No, I appreciate it, my friend. I'll talk again soon. And uh, thank you for sharing the knowledge. Brother, I really appreciate this. The time flew right now. I wish I didn't have another appointment. But man, I, I had a great conversation, great talk. So, so thankful that you had me on. And, and I hope to, to come back again with you. This was awesome. Most definitely. Appreciate it, buddy. I right, talk soon, brother. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.